podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Friday. The weekend is here. The Premier League is back. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is, of course, a VPN provider. So do check out their services at LibertyShield.com. I am joined by producer Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? I am good, and I am seemingly more refreshed than you are with recent sleeping patterns. Yes, I have about a sum total of 11 hours sleep over the last three days. I am wired to the absolute moon. So, um, Joe Biden, if you could just go ahead and win that presidency, it would really be doing me a solid. Um, It is time for, as Anderson Cooper called him, the obese turtle lying on his back, flailing at the sun, to go away. So, you know, the sooner the better. Uh, we've got 10 games to get through, Guy. We have two today, four tomorrow, and four Sunday. No Monday games this weekend because, in the infinite wisdom of the football gods, there's another international break. Only the three games for European teams? Yeah, just the three games, the three opportunities for all the players to go away and get themselves a little bit of coronavirus, you know, just what you want to cap off your 2020 year is a little bit of coronavirus. Um, what, what an absolute madness. The, the need for three games is just is what gets me. I mean, England were meant to play New Zealand in this international break. And that game got cancelled because New Zealand have obviously put themselves in quite a small bubble. Um, because they are one of the, the countries who have dealt the very best with coronavirus and rather than just take the opportunity to not have a game the fa in their wisdom has set up a game with the republic of ireland now we are awful they will learn nothing from that game and there's no fans at the game so there will be no money from that game other than a little bit of tv revenue so it's completely pointless it's an utterly pointless affair um I, I just can't wrap my head around it. But we're on a tight run today, so let's get right into it, Guy. What's the first game? Yep, so we've got the Battle of the Bees. We've got Brighton v Burnley. Struggling Burnley, underperforming Brighton on pay-per-view. Nobody's going to buy it. Nobody should buy it. What do you reckon? This is, I believe, the last weekend of the pay-per-view games as things stand right now. The plan looks to be to lift the pay-per-views after this weekend. So, once again, do not buy these events. Do not have anything to do with paying for these events. If you do have 15 quid burn the hole in your pocket, send it to your local food bank. Send it to your local homeless shelter. Make a difference with it. Um, Brighton will be without Lewis Dunk, who is suspended. Sully March is potentially out injured. Uh, Jan Bakash is out injured. Both of them will have late fitness tests. Burnley, still without Jack Cork, still without Ben Mee. Um, 
Ben Mee does have a slight chance at this game, but I think it would be risky to bring him back. Eric Peters is ruled out, and Johan Goodmanson faces a late fitness test. So key players out for both teams, in particular those two centre-backs, Ben Mee and Lewis Dunk, the captains of both teams. I think with Brighton being at home, you would have to favour them. However, if they play like they did last weekend, I wouldn't favour them to be anybody in the league. The decision to play Gross, Lalana, and um, Trossard as a front three was just very, very strange to me. I understand that Neil Mopé's attitude might be a little bit off at the minute. Put him in the team. You need him in the team. You need to win games. You need goals. And it's time for Alexis McAllister to be starting for Brighton. The the likes of Lalana and Gross are not getting the job done. They have not played well. It's time for Alexis McAllister to be in the team. I'm going to say Brighton win this game 2-1, but I do think it's going to be close. And I do think Burnley are going to snap out of this funk. Now, I don't think they'll snap out of it results-wise, but I think we'll see a much better performance than we saw last weekend when they rolled over for Chelsea. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they can get much worse than that, to be fair. But yeah, I think this not a too exciting game. But we'll move on. Um, this one's actually on telly without buying it. Uh, well, without pay-per-viewing it. Uh, Southampton v Newcastle. Um, a week ago, you'd probably say Southampton would be comfortable favourites to this, but... Considering Danny Ings is out for four to six weeks, I believe. How how big does that impact Southampton's results going forward? Yeah, it's a it's a massive loss for them. Um, he was in great form as well, and we saw last weekend how well they were playing up until he went off. And then when he went off, they were like a different team altogether. It's like if a switch turned off for them, and Villa were able to kind of claw the way back into it late. Now Southampton held on for the win, and it's two back to back really good wins over Everton and over Villa, two teams that had been in really good form to that point. So massive for Southampton to get those six points. They're having a good run of form at the moment. It's really good to see. Finally, we're getting the nationwide praise for Ralph Hasenhutl that he deserves. Um, they are without Will Smallbone. Mo Salisu uh, is still ruled out. He hasn't played yet since joining. So they'll be wanting to get him fit as soon as possible. Um, Jan Bednarak is a doubt. That's a concern because he's very, very important. Now, it is only kind of a facial injury, so you'd hope that he will be back. Ryan Bertrand looks like he's out of this one. That's another big blow. So that's half their defense potentially out. Uh, Ibrahim Diallo, the new signing uh, in the summer, he's got a dead leg, but expected maybe to be fit enough to make the bench. And then, like you say, Danny Ings also out. But it's not all plain sailing for Newcastle. John Joe Shelby is still out, Matt Ritchie is still out, Dwight Gale is still out, and Martin Dubravka is out. So they are missing key players as well, in particular Dubravka and Shelby. They, I think they would be starters if both were fit. So with Southampton having the home, the home field advantage, I know it doesn't really make much of a difference at the moment without fans, but St. Mary's is a tighter pitch than St. James's. St. Mary's pitch is that little bit smaller it is more suited to the high-pressing style that Ralph enjoys, and I think that's going to benefit Southampton in a 2-0 win. Yeah, I think this will be an interesting game. I might actually watch it for once. Um, but we'll move on to Saturday. Um, first game of the weekend on, on BT Sport. We've got Everton v Man United. Everton, who were in such great form before 
everyone got injured and everyone got suspended because that's what they tend to do. Um, but Man United bleh, form have been terrible in the league. Fought the Champions League was the saving grace, and then that game against I'm not even gonna I'm just gonna say Istanbul. <laughs> Istanbul Besiktas, yes, that's um, the one. A dreadful performance, like genuinely dreadful. I I can't I can't stop watching Demba Ba's goal. Because I just can't figure out what their players are doing. How it is that that man picks the ball up. He is five yards inside his own box. And he is 15 yards from the nearest United player. And the only United player who gets close to him is Nemanja Matic. Now, bear in mind, Nemanja Matic is incredibly slow. And then consider he managed to make up 15 yards on Demba Ba over half a field worth of running. If anybody with a decent bit of pace had been there, or anywhere close, they would easily have caught him. Demba Ba cannot run anymore. And he still ran away from United to score. Um, this is a funny one, Guy, because over the last, what we say, in 25 years, mm. with, with the, you know, since... That fateful FA Cup in 1995, when Everton won their last trophy, beating Manchester United in the cup final. United have treated Everton as somewhat of the whipping boys, and they've looked at Everton as a guaranteed six points a season. That's basically how they've looked at United. There's been seasons where Everton have taken a draw, and they took they did they did win the year that Moyes left Everton to go to uh, well, well obviously United. <laughs> yeah because everybody beat United that season so Everton did beat them but it did kind of swing back again in United's favour after that and even though they're not the juggernaut they once they once were they are you know they've still been a top four contender but this year things are different there's not a doubt in my mind Everton are the better team. There's definitely not a doubt in my mind that they have the better manager. The issue is they've got a bunch of players out. Now, United will be without Phil Jones, Alex Tellez, Eric Bailly, potentially Victor Lindelof. Now, that could be a big one, but, mm. but Tunzebi could play. And uh, and Jesse Lingard, but I mean, you know, he, he, he doesn't feature anyway. Everton's list of who's out is substantial. So, Gabarman is still out, Holgate is still out. Richarlison is still suspended. This is the third game of his suspension. Lucas Digne is back because his suspension, initially three games, was was dropped to one uh, as it wasn't seen to be violent conduct. James has an injury. He missed last weekend. He played against Southampton but probably shouldn't have, having picked up the injury committing a foul against Liverpool. Andre Gomes has a little bit of a knock but is expected to be back. Seamus Coleman potentially back, late fitness test for him, and Ben Godfrey looks like he's out with a thigh injury. So that's a lot of players. Now, Everton, obviously, first five games, really, really good. Four good wins, a good draw at home to Liverpool with the help of VAR. Uh, But the last two games, just dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Terrible against Southampton. An abomination against Newcastle comfortably outplayed the only bright light last weekend was that Dominic Calvert-Lewin kept up you know his his goal record but uh, they were really stodgy they played with Gilfie and Gomez behind 
Calvert-Lewin. There was no pace, no movement. It was just very, very strange. Why he didn't play Bernard and Iwobi, I've no idea, because Iwobi made a massive difference when he came on and they were able to shift him out wide. So I'm hopeful that they'll do that. I think this game has draw written all over it, if I'm being honest. Because I, I just, United, with the injuries Everton have, United should win this game. Because with the injuries Everton have, United have the better team. But United are so bad at the moment. Now, away from home, they have been better. I think they've won, they'd won 10 away games in a row going into that Besiktas game in all competitions. So, their away form has been good. Now, that is, it does have to be kind of marked down that a lot of the teams they played away from home were quite poor. And some of them included like poor Europa League teams that they had, they had beaten. So, there is that, but like you look at the Premier League form this year, other than, than a good 20 minutes against Newcastle, they've got nothing to point to and say that was impressive. Awful in the vast majority of games. I think they're going to have a tough time here. I'm going to say a draw. I'm going to say a one-all draw, but it's purely on the base that Richarlison is out hurt and Hamez is a doubt. If Hamez plays, Everton win. Yeah, I could say that. I could see that. Um, we'll move on to Crystal Palace v Leeds, which ugh, Hodgson v Bielsa. It's it's something. <laughs> uh, what what do we make of this? Because Crystal Palace, I mean, they started off so brightly, and we we thought mm. maybe Roy was on it. Possibly his last season was just going. I'll try attack this year. And that wasn't true. Um, but surely something has to change for Crystal Palace because, I mean, trying to defend 90 minutes and only getting a decent result against Brighton with a, a million shots to one penalty or whatever it was, it, it, it's not going well. Surely they have to change something. Huh? Yeah, I mean, Hodgson will point to the fact that they're 13th and he will say, well, that's, you know, that's where I want to be. Um, but I do agree. I mean, the performances have drastically dropped off. If you look at kind of the early weeks of the season where they beat United, they put in a good showing against um, against Everton. Those were, were things to get a little bit hyped about. Um, but, you know, I mean, the, the win against Southampton was, was decent. It wasn't spectacular, but it, they did very well to kind of negate what Southampton were trying to do. But, you know, they, they got hammered by Chelsea, the draw against Brighton, they they really lacked any sort of ambition. A, a good win away to Fulham, but again, it it you know it's Fulham. Um, awful performance against Wolves, and you do just start to worry a little bit that Hodgy is falling into the usual Hodgy ways. And and let me tell you, the next game out, so their next their next two games out are Burnley and Newcastle. So you know they're both going to be horrific to watch. So the Beautiful. only opportunity that there's going to be for a half-decent Crystal Palace game of football this side of December is this one. And that is purely down to the man in the other dugout. Like, you couldn't ask for more chalk and cheese types than the Hodge and Marcelo Bielsa. So Leeds are, are inconsistent as well. I mean, that that's their kind of issue at the moment. You know they sit one point at uh, one place above Palace, but with a with an identical goal or an identical 
record across the season. Played seven, won three, drawn one, lost three. Now they've scored 13 and conceded 13, whereas Palace have scored eight and conceded 11. So Palace's goal difference, negative three. That keeps them a, a spot below Leeds. So the team, the two teams are evenly matched. Now there's injuries for both teams and, and Palace are really struggling with injuries at the moment. Milojojevic is out with a suspension because of that horrendous red card he took last weekend. Uh, James Tompkins is a doubt. James McCarthy is a doubt. Gary Cahill is a doubt. Tyreek Mitchell is out. Joel Ward is out. Connor Wickham is out. Wayne Hennessy is out. And Nathan Ferguson is still out. So you'd imagine it's going to be Nathaniel Klein and Van Anhold. And Van Anhold is the first choice right back. But... Nathaniel Klein was, wasn't even signed to the club, what, three weeks ago? So, you know, how, how fit he is remains to be seen. He didn't didn't look particularly good against Wolves. Uh, and I think Leeds will target him. Leeds themselves, though, massive, massive blow with um, Calvin Phillips out. Rodrigo obviously having to isolate as a precaution due to COVID-19 is just massively bad luck. Rafinha has a late fitness test and he could he could play in this game. This will be his debut. Uh Loriente still ruled out, Berardi still ruled out, and Forshaw still ruled out. So, you know, not good injury news for either team. Patrick Bamford maybe with a point to prove against one of his former clubs. That could be a little bit of inspiration. You know that with Leeds, they're going to play the same way no matter who's on the team, who's in the team, who's on the field. But this does just strike me as a game where I could see Wilf Saha having a lot of joy. And if Hodgson is brave enough and starts Eberichi easy, I think his his team scrape out a 2-1 win here. I think easy has caused Leeds trouble in the past. Him and Zaha with Michi Batshuayi I think Palace scrape out the win here. I'll go two one Palace. Interesting. It does a lot depend on as easy starting because I, I know he hasn't started the last few. Considering he's in one of my draft um, fantasy teams and he's not bloody started, but two, two him or AU, they have to start him or AU. It has to be one or the other. Mm. I would rather see him start. For, for in recent weeks, they haven't been starting either of them, and that's mm. a concern to me. But I do think at home he will go with one or the other. And if it's easy, and I think it will be easy in this game, I think that is potentially a big, a big, big um, boost for Palace, for the players in the team. And like I say, he's had he's had some joy against this lot in the past. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. Um, the... Late televised kickoff on on normal telly. Um, Chelsea v Sheffield United. Um, Chelsea should win this, but has that been Chelsea's problem? They should win these games, but sometimes they don't. Yeah, I mean that that is definitely the case. But I think in recent weeks we have started to see them win the games they should win. Uh, and I yeah, I expect them to win this game as well. Now Sheffield United will be without least Mousset. Without John Fleck, without Jack O'Connell, and then Ethan Ampadu is unable to play because he is owned by Chelsea. Chelsea will be without Kai Havertz, uh, who has COVID. Billy Gilmore is ruled out, and Pulisic is also ruled out at the moment. So, you know, Gilmore wouldn't have played, but Havertz and Pulisic would have. 
I think we'll see them go with a very similar team to that which played against Burnley last time out with that very, very attacking kind of five-man attack and N'Golo Kante holding the midfield by himself. And if they do that, I do think it opens an opportunity for Sheffield United to cause them problems by getting their wing-backs advanced and pushing the full-backs back. Because both James and Chilwell are in the team to attack. Neither of them are particularly good defensively. Both are very good going forward. If Sheffield United can push them back, cut the supply line off, and then when they have the ball, the absolute key is going to be standing Ollie McBurney on Thiago Silva and pumping the ball to him. And I mean pumping it to him from absolutely everywhere on the pitch. If the goalkeeper has it, the centre-backs, the left-back, a midfielder, put that ball high in the air on McBurney's head against Thiago Silva. And let's see how Thiago Silva deals with it. Burnley failed to do it last weekend. Sheffield United have a big opportunity to do it here. And if McBurney can take Thiago Silva and basically rinse him in the air, that is going to create opportunities for midfielders running on and for Ream Brewster. Now, I still expect Chelsea to win this game, but I do think Sheffield United can have some joy. And potentially, I think, if if Chelsea go with that very attack-minded midfield, Burnley could outwork them there, and, and the physicality of players like Lundstrom and Sander Berger could cause Chelsea some problems. Like I say, I expect Chelsea to win. I'm going to say Chelsea to win 4-2. So I think they will score goals with that attack. Sheffield United's defence has been quite poor this year. I'm going to say Sheffield United win, or sorry, Chelsea win 4-2. But Sheffield United have an opportunity here. Again, like last weekend, this is a free hit. No one expects you to win. Just have an absolute go with this. I don't want to see the same garbage that we saw last weekend, where you put in no fight. Making me look bad here. I predicted that you'd be fine. Get the ball up to the big man. You won't hear me say it often, but put the ball into the box for the big man. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's basically it. Yeah, 4-2 to Chelsea. Yeah, I could see that. Last game on Saturday is on pay-per-view as, as per on BT box office. Um, West Ham v Fulham. Is this, after a really positive result for Fulham, a proper test now? Because they beat West Brom, let's be honest, a championship team, as we're, as we're Fulham. But do Fulham now need to put a marker down and beat a quite established Premier League team? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. And I also wonder how West Ham reacts, having lost last weekend, but having had a really good run of form against kind of top-half clubs. I wonder how West Ham react now in a game against a bottom, you know, bottom three team, but a bottom half team. Fulham are without uh, Kamara, who's suspended. Kenny Tete ruled out with an injury. Cabano looks like he's back. Lamina has a late fitness test. That's a little bit of a concern because he's he was very, very good last weekend. Terence Congolo's ruled out. And um, Josh Onomoa is obviously not on the squad for reasons known only to Scott Parker. Mikel Antonio is still out, though, and that is massive for West Ham. He is a huge loss. Mark Noble's probably out and Aaron Aaron Cresswell could possibly be out which means they'd have to change that back three that has worked for them in recent weeks now 
I have to say, I actually fancy the draw in this game. Because of the lack of Antonio, I think the cutting edge for for, for West, West Ham is not there. We're going to see a more attacking West Ham than we saw against Liverpool. It'll still be the back seven, but the fullbacks will play that bit more advanced as actual wingbacks. And I think they will look to get midfielders like Suchek and Rice forward a little bit more to support Fornals, Bowen and Sebastian Haller. It wouldn't even surprise me if Moyes rested one or two for this game. Maybe with a little bit of arrogance, you know, Fulham are below us. We, you know, we should be all right to rest somebody. But I think Fulham can cause them problems here. They're not missing anybody other than potentially Lamina that I would say is a key player. But they do have a bunch of other midfield options they can call upon. I'm going to say this is a one-all draw. Yeah, I think West Ham will will struggle without Antonio unless they stop playing Haller in 50 yards of space on his own. But to be fair, Fulham is probably the perfect team to get people closer to over the play up front. Um, But yeah, it it probably won't be the most interesting game. Um, No, I'm not not seeing a big crowd for that one in terms mm. of pay-per-view. You might might break double figures. Um, on to Sunday then. Probably the new favourite for the 20th spot after last week, West Brom, against the up-and-down Spurs, but seem to be getting the results in the Premier League at the minute. Yeah, they're a bit more up than down at the moment, but... You know, they are Spurs, and there's always the chance that they do Spursy things. Uh, they'll be without Eric Lamella. Um, Tanganga is still out. Regulon has a late fitness test, but is expected to play. He's ill. He's not injured. And Serge Aurier has a little bit of a niggle. Again, late fitness test. The hope would be that he'll be back because I think they're their their best fullbacks. Regulon on the right, or Regulon on the left, rather. Aurier on the right. Um. West Brom without Sam Field, without Hal Robson Canu, and re- without Dara O'Shea. So, you know, n- nothing really to be too concerned about for them there. I think Spurs will win this game comfortably, if I'm honest. I think they'll have too much class and attack. Gareth Bale is is starting to find some form and, and make an impression. Harry Kane is obviously in great form. Youngman Son is in great form. And Mbele is playing well. Hoysberg has taken control of the midfield and is becoming the leader of the team. And I, I do think we're starting to see the Spurs team hum just a little bit. Now, I know they've dropped some bad points in, you know, the last couple of games. The the notable ones, obviously, the Newcastle game and the West Ham game. But they did beat Burnley and Brighton in back-to-back league games, despite not playing all that well. They're coming off a decent win in midweek away to Ludogorets. I would expect them to win this game uh, and that will set up a, a really big game for them then after the international break where they have City first and then Chelsea and then Arsenal. Um, that is a, it's a really, really good run, a really good test of where they are right now under Mourinho. If they could come out of that run of three with seven points and the three points here, I think they'd be very, very happy mm. to uh, have 11 games played and 24 points on the board. So this is this is the this is kind of the the softball game that you expect Spurs to win. I mean if you're third in the league you should be beating the team that are third from bottom. That's just how it works. 
especially at home. So win this one, and then you've got two weeks to get ready for uh, a hell of a run. City, Europa, Chelsea, Europa, Arsenal. That'll be tough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that'll probably be the measuring stick off Spurs, because if they get the results you mentioned, even if it is two draws and a win, it still puts them considering the season in the oh, yeah. race. That's the thing, and, and that's that has to be the aim. Just don't lose too much ground. Mm. Like that that's all that it really comes down to. Just don't lose too much ground over these next over the like the next four games, this one and, and those three. But uh, like I say, I expect them to win this. I, I'll, I'll say they'll win it comfortably 3-0. Yeah, I could see that. Um, on to the next game. You delved into this one a bit deeper with Lee on Wednesday. Leicester v Wolves. Obviously, Leicester's injuries speak for themselves. Uh, and Wolves, who... Bleh, performances haven't been that impressive. Um, but they seem to be churning away results, apart from the Newcastle one. Um... What do you make of this? Leicester, I mean, maybe a similar story to last season, but if they keep up this form, there's no reason why they won't be in a, a title race. Mm, no, I agree. Uh, Wolves, obviously, without Mark Hall and Johnny Castro, or Johnny Otto, as he's, known, as he's more commonly known, um, for this one. So, that you know, two injuries to players that maybe would have been fringe starters, but you know, I think Ryan and Yuri was always brought to start, and obviously Pereira's or not Pereira, uh, Semedo is obviously going to start at right wing back. So I think you know Wolves will be happy with, with what they have available. Leicester, unfortunately, it is quite it is quite the list. Castanier still uh, still ruled out. Ricardo Pereira still ruled out. Johnny Evans late fitness test, but it's not looking positive for him. And Didi is out, Amarty is out, and Sionchu is out. That is a lot. That is a lot. I mean, that's your entire back four uh, and your holding midfielder and one of your better depth options in Amarty. So this will be a tough one for Leicester. And based on Leicester's form this season and the inconsistencies that we've seen for them, and the couple of weaknesses that I do see in that team when they're without their best defenders, I think Wolves will win this game. Wolves at full strength. Now, obviously, like you said, they haven't been playing particularly well, but they've become really efficient. And they are grinding out results without having to go through the gears all that much. No indeedy means that Ruben Neves is going to control the midfield in this game. Now, Wolves don't really want the ball all that much. They prefer to play on the counter. Leicester are also better on the counter. So I think what we'll see is Wolves will almost force possession onto Leicester and look to invite them in. Now, the one big thing in this game is Jamie Vardy. Because if he can isolate Connor Cody, it is over. He will tear him to, to absolute ribbons. And he'll score a couple of goals. But... It wouldn't surprise me if Wolves made one change for this game and brought Adama into the team, maybe instead of Raul Neto, and went with Traore, Jimenez, and Pedence. So I think this is the type of game, especially with Christian Fuchs at left back, or sorry, left centre back, and uh, Luke Thomas at left wing back. You've got an old, slow player, and you've got a young guy who's still very, very raw, very, very green learning his craft. You've got a big opportunity there for somebody like 
Adama Traore to really exploit those two, especially with help from Semedo coming from wing-back. So I think that is an area Wolves could target. Even if it's Neto and Pedence that start, I still think they'll target that area, the left-hand side of Brighton's defence, because I do mm-hmm. think Brighton will play the back three. don't think they've got any option. Uh, but I think Wolves can pull the win out here. I'm going to say they win... I'm going to say they win 2-1, but it could be 3-1. But I'll say 2-1 just to be on the you know the cautious side. But uh, I do think Wolves will, will have enough here. Leicester just does a lot of players to be without... And I know they've got had a great result against Leeds, but I think Wolves are just a type of team that are set up to cause Leicester problems. Yeah, I think the Adama one's a good point actually, because obviously we we kind of questioned why he's not starting, but their left hand side is presumably still going to be Thomas and Fuchs. Like Thomas is a youngster, and Fuchs is a hundred and twelve, so surely you'd want the most direct winger in the league to exactly. run at them. Yeah, that's the thing. Because what he's going to do is he's going to draw Thomas into making the type of silly little fouls that young defenders make. And it's nothing that you know Thomas is doing wrong. It's just young defenders make silly errors. They, make, they commit silly fouls. And the lack of pace with Fuchs, if Adama can get him to commit to something and then nick the ball away, there's real opportunities there to, to gain a lot of set pieces. Wolves are a big physical team. They've got good aerial players in terms of the centre-backs, then Donker and Jimenez. They've got good uh, good set-piece deliverers in the likes of Pedence and Ruben Neves. So it is an opportunity there for them there to um, to create chances. I do think that's a real path for Wolves to win this game. So... You know, Nuno, if you, if you are listening, just just you know stick Adama back in the team. Give the um, people what they want. Give, give everybody wants him in the team. Like I think, including his teammates, want him in the team. Nobody can really explain to me why he's not in the team. So you know, I, I'm not hearing the argument for El Neto at this point. But um, mm. yeah, I'm going to say Wolves win the game two one. Um, I haven't seen Fafana yet because. Leicester either seem to be on pay-per-view or I'm just doing something else. It Jimenez v Fafana, is this something that should be fun? Yeah, it will be fun. It will be a lot of fun. Fafana has been great for them so far. Uh, looks really, really comfortable. Has really settled into the team. He's formed a really nice understanding with James Justin, who's nominally playing to his right when they play the back three. So that, that has helped him. Um, He's just he's he's so physical, he's so strong, so powerful in the air. Like they played Braga last night and they went with Justin, Fafana and Fuchs, Albrighton and Thomas as wing backs. And that's what they played against Leeds. It is what I expect to see them play um against Wolves. Now, they rested the front three that had started last weekend, though I do think James Madison is probably in line for a recall. So I think we will see Madison and Barnes behind Vardy in mm. that ga- in this game with Thielemans plus one in midfield. It could be Chowdhury. It could be Mendy. It could be Pryat. He might not feel, the Brendan might not feel the need for a, a, an out-and-out ball winner. So he might go for Pryat. Knowing that he's, they're probably going to have more of the ball, 
he might just want that player that can give them that little bit of extra control, little bit of leadership, little bit of smarts in midfield. Because you know a lot of those younger players they can get a little bit, little bit headstrong. Whereas Pride is a little bit more experienced and mm. calm people down and talk them through games. So it is. It'll be an interesting chess match. It really, really will. Um, Brendan only really knows how to play one way anymore. So you know that they're going to go and try and attack. So it is just a matter of how Wolves deal with that and then what what outlet they have. And I think if the outlet is Adama, they'll win the game. Yeah, even though, even maybe as an impact sub, which probably more likely comes in. It, but it, it should be interesting. Um, but on to the big game of the weekend, or the biggest game, I should say. Uh, Man City v Liverpool. Um, obviously, this has kind of been the rivalry of the last three four years maybe probably since the champions league quarterfinal um does man city's inconsistent start affect the size of this game no i don't think so i think the lack of fans is obviously is a factor that does sort of knock down the glamour of the game um but i think it's still the two top teams in england even though city currently sit 10th there's no question that Liverpool and City are the, are the two best teams in England. And then, you know, the likes of Spurs, Chelsea, Leicester, and whoever else wants to put their, their hat into the ring kind of sit below them. I look at City with no Aguero, Benjamin Mendy still ruled out, and Fernandinho ruled out. And I, I, I think mm. that's, you know, Aguero obviously huge loss, even... Even if Gabby Jesus is back, the lack of Aguero is just massive. He is so important to them. What mm. an absolutely incredible player he's been. Fernandinho has been so important to everything they've done and won over the last what five, six, seven years, however, however long he's been there. Since day one, he's been great for them. And then Mendy just means that they don't have a recognized left back to play left back. They can either play Canseo, who's a right back, mm. Zinchenko, who's a midfielder, or maybe Nathan Aki, who's a centre-back. None of them are, are the ideal options. Liverpool will be without Fabinho with a hamstring injury. That's a massive blow. It doesn't look like Thiago Alcantara is going to be fit for this one. He might make the bench, but he won't start. Virgil van Dijk obviously out for the season. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain still ruled out. Diogo Jota has a knock, but is expected to play. I think he'll play from the bench. I think we're going to see Liverpool go to the more traditional for 433 with Mane, Firmino and Salah up front. Henderson, Wijnaldum and Naby Kate, I think is the midfield that will start. And then at the back I'm expecting Trent, Gomez, Joel Matip and Andy Robertson. I think if that mm. is the Liverpool team, I think Liverpool have enough to win this game. I think City in the last few games have looked taking out the European game because Olympiacos aren't of the same level as the Premier League teams that we're talking about here. I think in the league, they've looked promising to a point, but they have looked a little bit fragile at the back, especially in that left-back channel. I think the Diaz-Laporte partnership is showing promising signs. I'm a, I'm a big fan of both individually, and I think they will form a really good partnership. And I said it before, I think long-term... Having them two plus Rodri in front and Ederson behind gives you that sort of core defensive diamond that you can build on. I think that is what City will basically base their team off 
moving forward. They'll still have De Bruyne. They'll still have Bernardo Silva. They'll still have Raheem Sterling. Ferran Torres is there now. Gabby Jesus, etc., etc. But I think that core defensive unit is going to be very, very important for them. They're all sort of 24, 23, 24. I think Ederson's 27, but that's obviously he's a goalkeeper, so you, you expect that he'll play well into his 30s. So you can have that group together for five or six years. I think that's going to be important for them. Um, that has been solid. Walker is playing quite well at the moment, solid defensively. Doesn't add nearly as much going forward as he used to, but he is what he is now. I think the question mark is, who's the third midfielder for City? Because you know De Bruyne will play, you know Rodri will play. Is it Gundogan, is it Bernardo Silva, or is it Phil Foden? I think that's key. Mm. I think who, who who's the third attacker? Because you know Mahrez is starting, you know, you know Sterling is starting. So who's the third attacker? Is it Ferran Torres or is it Gabi Jesus? Because that fundamentally changes who they play, how they play, as does that midfield selection. And then who plays left back? Is it Zinchenko? Is it Aki or is it Canseo? If it's Canseo and then Foden in midfield, that tells you a lot about how Pep is setting up. That tells you he's setting up to be really attack-minded and really try and push the game on Liverpool. If he does that, I think they're going to leave themselves open at the back. And I think that is that is what Liverpool will want. I think we're going to see more of the old Liverpool in terms of the Liverpool City games. You remember when, when Liverpool went to the Etihad? I want to say it was Klopp's first season in charge and Firmino and Coutinho and Emre Chan absolutely tore City apart on counterattacks. Was that the Lallana false nine game? No, I think that, that was the first one. I think that was the first one. Right. I do remember the game. Is that the one where Emre was ill and he came off? Yes. And then we No, no, of... that was the home game. That was the home oh. game. Liverpool were 4-1 up. Emery was sick, came off, and City came back and almost mm. got a draw because Dejan Lovren did Dejan Lovren things and gifted them two goals and almost a third. Um, it's, it's cross-platform. This. It's AI, it's EPL. You've got to spread the Lovren love. I'm I'm bringing it everywhere. I'm going on <laughs> tour next year and I'm bringing it with me. Um, the anti-Dejan tour 2021. Southampton fans um, like it. I've I've just begun calling uh, COVID nineteen Dejan in my house over the last few weeks as well, <laughs> just to kind of make it more of a, you know, an understandable enemy. Um, I have I haven't done that. <laughs> I don't even believe. I, I, no, you definitely done that. Even I wouldn't. Think that <laughs> no, I, I might. I might. If if it goes on much longer, if I he might, still play, if he still played for us, like well, well, I had six years of him. This has only been <laughs> what? This has been seven and a half months or so. Um, if if we get to the full year mark and it's still like this next year, uh, it will be. It'll be full days on. Um, I think Liverpool will be very cautious in this game. I think they'll try and be quite controlled in this game. I think the the key for them is obviously shutting down Kevin De Bruyne, not allowing him to dictate too much of the game. If they can do that, and if City do go very adventurous, I think Liverpool will win this game 3-1, punishing them on counter-attacks with Salah and Mane. Yeah, I think it all depends what Klopp does as well, because if, if it's the team you said... and If think, Liverpool play 4-2-3-1, I, I think yeah. City win the game 2-1. If Liverpool play 4-3-3, I think Liverpool win the game. My only problem with 4-3-3 is 
he'll probably play Milner. No, no, I think he'll play Naby. I, I don't. I still don't trust Klopp not to not to play Milner, <laughs> even though yeah. he's, he's not done start much. No, I still don't trust him. Uh, but yeah, I, I think a lot will depend on how we shape up and who plays in midfield. If if Naby performs, I, I could see that um, as well. It could be a. I think this will be a good game because Man, if Man City win this and win the game in hand, aren't they like a couple points behind us? Or no, the they'd be top. Oh, the top. Uh, let me just have a quick look. So, City are currently sitting on 11 points. Mm. Liverpool are on 16. So, if City win, they will go to 14. Liverpool would stay on 16. Damn. City would have the game in hand, and that would put them on to 17 points. So, that, that's not factoring in the possibility mm-hmm. that Leicester could win their game, Spurs could win their game, and therefore they would still stay mm. ahead of City uh, after eight games played. But yeah, they would they would go a point ahead of Liverpool if they could win. Which is why this is a big game for Liverpool. Because mm. you can look at all the other teams, but the bottom line is that at at Melwood, at Anfield, they're talking about City. And they're looking at where City are because that's the team they believe. If they finish above City, mm. they believe they win the league. So if they're looking at City right now and they can win this game, they're eight points clear of City. And yes, City have a game in hand, but that still gives them a five-point buffer. So that's that's how big this game can be because five points now is easy to make up. But five points come March, April, mm. that's going to be real tough to make up. So I think Liverpool are looking at this as a huge, huge game. I think Klopp will have had this one circled on the calendar for a long, long time. Obviously, the defence is an issue for Liverpool. 15 goals conceded, second worst in the league thus far. But we know that they're not a dreadful defensive team. Seven of those goal of uh, those goals came in one game, which means in the other six games they only conceded eight goals, which would be one of the better defensive records in the entire league. Um, that Villa game just kind of throws everything out. Just take away the deflected goals, and it'll be realistic. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Take away the deflected goals and the blatantly offside goal, and Villa would have won that game. What three three two at that point? Um, which would, you know, and and, and in, in truth, 11 goals conceded would be about right for how Liverpool have defended this year. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think, I think once we've settled without Van Dijk, it's kind of done all right. And Adrian's bug enough. And, and just to be clear there, <laughs> I am saying Villa deserve to win that oh, game. Oh, Christ, yeah. Regardless of, oh my of God. anything else. 7-2 um, was a mercy at the end. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, But 7-2 didn't really reflect the game. 7-2 was just Liverpool being stupid and not sorting their, themselves out. Mm. And Villa getting a little bit fortunate. Like, that game could really have ended 10-6. Mm. You know, like, there was just so many chances. It was basically like a basketball game. Yeah, which, from my perspective, horrendous. <laughs> uh, but we'll move on, because I've I've mentioned that too much this week. Um, so, Liverpool favourites, then? For you, anyway? Yeah, I think so. Without Aguero and Fernandinho, I think so. Mm. So last game of the weekend, we've got all the years in the to bookend the uh, weekend. Uh, Arsenal v Aston Villa. Um, Aston Villa started the season so well and, and, and seemed to have curtailed a bit um, in, in recent games. And Arsenal, a good result against United, but seemingly a lack of threat. It, 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 mm. how, how do you see this one? It should be interesting. Yeah, the Arsenal's issue right now is is a lack of creativity. They're a little bit overly passive in midfield. I don't think they've been aggressive enough in getting runners forward from midfield. 
into the penalty box when they do create something. We know that Willian is creative. We know that Danny Ceballos can be creative, but he's not currently starting for them. I, I expect Arsenal to play the same team that played United. Now, they're without Callum Chambers, Reese Nelson, Pablo Mari, and Gabriel Martinelli. Villa are without Wesley, Tom Tom Heaton, uh, Courtney House, and Bert, Bertrand Traore. Now, Bertrand Traore is the only one there who likely would have started. Um, none of those Arsenal players likely would have started. So I think we'll see the same Arsenal team that played against United. I would hope that he won't be silly enough and bring David Luiz back in. I thought Rob Holding had a good game. and I think Rob Holding mm. is more suited to this game as well. I think he's a little bit more diligent in his defensive work. And with Grealish cutting in off the left, I think you need your right side centre-back to be diligent defensively and not all over the place like David Luiz can be. Mm. Um, Villa, obviously, like you say, great through four games. Perfect record. Only two goals conceded. And then it started to go wrong. A 3-0 defeat to Leeds. 4-3 defeat to Southampton. That that 4-3, that flatters Villa massively. Southampton were levels better than them and and should really have won that game 4 or 5-1. So it's a bit of a wake-up call for Villa. They need to sort certain things out in their team. But I, I still, I like the project. I like where they are. I, I'm a very big fan of a lot of their players. I think the left side of their defense is a weakness. Now, fortunately for them, most of Arsenal's threat comes down the opposite side, where Saka plays wing back and Aubameyang plays the left-sided forward. But that's a big, big test for Matty Cash and Ezri Konza. Big, big test for them too. They've been really good this season, Leeds game aside. Um, they haven't been badly exposed. The other side, I think that's where the weakness is. I'm not a big fan of Tyrone Ming, and I'm not a big... Well, I, I do like Matt Target, but I just... If you were looking at players to, to upgrade on, I think those two and Trezeguet would be would be the ones you would look at um, for, the, for the next kind of phase of Villa's, Villa's build. Uh, maybe not Ming's. Like he, he does have potential. He does play well quite a bit, but he does inconsistencies, and he makes too many mistakes for me. Um... I think Arsenal will win this game. Obviously, it is uh, at the Emirates, so that is you know the bonus for them. I think they'll be confident having beaten United last week. I like both managers. I think both managers have a very clear idea of how they want to play. It's it. This comes down to Aubameyang versus Grealish. I think the teams are quite quite well matched. If I'm being completely honest, I do think they're quite well matched. I think Arsenal probably have the better individuals in defensive midfield in terms of Gabriel, I would say, is better than any... Uh, Gabriel and Kieran Tierney better than any individual uh, Aston Villa defender. Thomas Partey better than any individual Aston Villa midfielder. Though I do think Douglas Louise and Ross Barkley are better than any partner that Arsenal have for, for Partey. I would rather have Matty Cash personally than Hector Bellerin. I think he's a better defender, and I think he offers more going forward. I think Bellerin's a bit more, a bit too much of just a straight line sprinter without a final ball. I love Saka, and I would have him. If I was picking a combined eleven, I think I would probably end up something like a either six five or seven four in favor of Arsenal. I'm actually just going to do it now. I'd go for I. I think Leno is a slightly better goalkeeper. Playing a back three, I'd go Konza. I'd go. Gabriel and I'd go Tierney. So now I'm four one to Arsenal. Sorry, 
3-1 to Arsenal out of four. I'd go Cash, Douglas Louise, Thomas Partey and Thomas Partey and Saka. Up front is interesting. I'd probably go, given who, who I think will play, I'd go Willian, I'd play Aubameyang through the middle uh, and I'd go for Grealish. So yeah, 7-4 to Arsenal is how it would end up. But that is quite close. And there's a couple of positions there that I think, you know, you could at least have a debate about um, goalkeeper being won. Mm. So I, I do think the teams are quite well matched, but I think Arsenal will win this game. I think Villa just a little bit of a slump. And we saw last season when they did hit a little bit of a slump, they had a little bit of a tough time getting out of it. Um, I still think Villa are going to be going to be good this year. And I think they will push for that 10th spot when it all shakes out at the end. But like I've said before, I think Arsenal are top 16 this year. And uh, and I expect them to win this game. I'm going to say Arsenal win this game 3-1 with Aubameyang being exceptionally good. I think Aubameyang gets two uh, and seals the win for Arsenal. It's a big call, that. It's a big call. People in the FPL community won't believe it. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not good at predictions, so I'm almost <laughs> certainly wrong. So get your uh, money on sure. Lacazette. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Get your money on Lacazette or on, or on an Ollie Watkins hat-trick <laughs> and, and Villa to win 3-0. Um, I'm not sure who Tadiwa has on uh, a tad predictable this week, uh, but I'm sure it'll be some better prediction Dan than Fitzpatrick. me. Oh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely picked an Arsenal win there. You know he's definitely picked an Arsenal win there. Um, so make sure you give a listen to A Tad Predictable give a listen to the EPL Roundtable podcast which will come out Sunday night Monday morning uh, with Kevin DeVries and the boys that is us for today thank you very much to Mr Guy Drinkle uh, back behind the desk for you now uh, that's enough microphone time this is my show <laughs> I'm only joking um, thanks as always for listening thank you for your continued support uh, thank you very much for your kind words about Molly on social media last night um, she is uh, she is incredible. Um, and, you know, she sits and allows me to do this podcast without interference most days. Some days, if you ever hear a scuffle in the back or a bark, that is her just chiming in, disagreeing with me. Means Dave uh, had the postman. Yeah, or, or, yeah, attacking the postman from behind the door because if the door opened, she'd run away like a coward. Um, like I said, thanks as always for the support. Thank you to Foxhaunt for our title music. That's us. That's the weekend set up for you. There's loads to watch. Don't buy pay-per-view. Take care of yourselves. Stay safe. I'll speak to you Monday. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.